In Romans 12, 1 through 2, we are reminded that we are not alone in this journey. God is the one who transforms the way we think. One of the ways that God does that is by asking the right questions, often tough questions, even questions we'd prefer to ignore. But they are critical questions. His questions are like windows to the mind. How are you thinking? Before we get started today, I wanted to give you the opportunity to affirm Pastor Michael. If you've been paying attention, you know that he just finished four weeks of preaching in a row. And didn't he get a, do a great job? Absolutely. And I know some of you are thinking... Yeah, so what's up with that? Well, let, let me give you a little background, kind of a peek behind the curtain to, to let you know what happened. A couple of years ago, um, in the months after I had the heart attack, remember that? <laughs> I remember that. Went away for a season, uh, spent a little time in prayer, uh, focusing on the church, our future, our team, and how we did things. And kind of one of the nudges that I got in that season from the Lord was this, that there are times uh, when I need to preach a full series, kind of like I did back in the prayer series in June and July. And so that was, you know, several weeks in a row. But if I do that, I realize that because... Team teaching is a part of our strategy. It's important that I also need to do that for the team. Team teaching is all about focusing on the future of the church. And listen, it's good for the church. It's good for the team. It's good for you. We get to bring up others. And speaking of bringing up others, wow, didn't Evan do a great job a couple of times? Absolutely. I kind of hate it when those young guys are so good. But, uh, but listen, team teaching is strategic and purposeful for our focus on the future and where God is taking us. Now, this is the part that I want you to see. So every year, January, I go away. And I plan for a year uh, in advance of what's going to happen in the pulpit. And so one of the series that I selected that we would cover this year was the one that we've uh, just been dealing with in right thinking. That was Michael's idea. And so I asked Michael, hey, I'd like you to think about speaking for an entire series. Um, what month would work best for you in the rhythm of student ministry? And he picked October. And so put it in the calendar. And it just so happened. That's my way of saying it's not a coincidence. It's God at work. It just so happened that if ever there was a month that I really needed the freedom to be focused on leadership and direction and what's next in a month, because of the staff vacancies that came just recently, it was this month. And what I want you to see is that God was working in those little details long before any of us could see it. And that God not only does that in the church, God does that in your life. He is always at work in even the most seemingly 
minor details of life. And one of the ways that God works in your life and in my life is by asking questions. He asks questions not because he's trying to get more information. He already knows. He asks questions in order to make revelation to you and me. And so we've been in this series about right thinking. And let me just remind you that right questions lead to clear vision. Right questions lead to clear vision. So you might remember we began with the first question that God asked, and that God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? It isn't like God had somehow misplaced them. Where did I leave Adam and Eve, you know? He wanted them to think about where they were in relationship to God. Where were they in relationship to Him? And those questions are not just for them. Those questions become questions for us. So when we read that question, we ought to ask ourselves, where am I? in relationship to God. How close am I to the Lord? How far have I moved away from Him? You see, the right questions can lead to clear vision. The next question we looked at was, what is your name? Again, it's not that God somehow forgot Jacob's name. Oh, I knew I was going to forget his name. No, it's, it's not like that. God, God is not always asking himself, what is his name? What is her name? You know, that's the game that I play out in the commons every Sunday. As you walk towards me, it's like, what, what was this? I should know their name. But God's not like that. You see, God asked the question because he wanted Jacob to know who he was. He wanted Jacob to understand who he was in light of his relationship with who God is. The Bible teaches us that you and I were created in the image of God to be like him. And only when we really know God the Father, we know Jesus the Son, we know that the Holy Spirit has filled us, that's when we discover who we are. We discover our identity in knowing him, I tell you the right questions always lead to clear vision. So this question that we're going to look at today, it's one of the last questions that Jesus asked in his ministry not long before the cross. And the question went something like this. With a kiss, you are betraying me? Open your Bibles up to Luke 22. Let me encourage you to keep them open because we're going to walk through uh, several parts of this passage. That's the Judas question, right? Judas, with a kiss? You're betraying me? Jesus is making very clearly that in, in his question that this is treachery. This is not just betrayal. I mean, Judas could have stood at the edge of that garden and pointed and said, that's the one. He's the guy. But he comes up and wants to identify Jesus by kissing him on the cheek. This was an act of duplicity and deception that was, that was planned in order to be able to maintain some ability of deceit. Now, surely this question cannot apply to you and me, right? I mean, we were not there. We were not in the garden. With a kiss, you were betraying me? Well, I want you to listen to something Jesus said a long time before they ever got to that garden. 
that sure seems to me to echo what we see happening in that garden and that's Matthew chapter 15 verse 8 when Jesus said these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me that's certainly a good description of what Judas did that night and I know me well enough to know that there are times when I can falsely honor Jesus in an external show, but my heart can drift. Isn't that true about you as well? Well, before we read Luke 22, let me just pause and introduce myself. If we've not yet met, my name's Kevin Lee. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, even when I'm working behind the scenes, I'm still one of the pastors here. And Hey, that was the case this week. There was a team of five from our pastors and elders that went to Dallas to have a full-day working meeting um, with golf companies. That's a group that we have used before. Told you about them last week. Asked you to fill that survey out. And let me thank you for filling out that survey. And let me just share with you one little piece of what we learned this week in our meeting the last time we did that survey was 2016 hard for me to believe that it's been that long but 2016 in 2016 we had 485 unique addresses that made up new work fellowship this time around 2023 we had 733 unique addresses the number of households that make up new work fellowship now grew by 51% over the last seven years. Listen, God is at work. And that's all I'm going to share with you about our meeting this week. Right now, we're focused on the future, asking good questions, seeking revelation, and spending time in prayer. And let me invite you to do that as well. Always be prayerful for your church, because let me tell you, the right questions lead a clear vision and that's even true with the question of today with a kiss you are betraying me well let's begin with the context this question comes out of one of the worst nights in the life of Jesus so let's begin reading at the beginning of the chapter Luke 22 beginning with verse 1 the festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching. The leading priests and teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus. But they were afraid of the people's reaction. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve disciples. And he went to the leading priests and the captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted, and they promised to give him money. So he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so that they could arrest him when the crowds were not around. Now, the first thing I want you to see is when it says that it was the festival of unleavened bread and Passover, 
You just need to understand that this was the highest celebration that took place in the nation of Israel. It is a way of saying this is smack dab in the middle of a party atmosphere. The festival of unleavened bread and Passover would be like if we took the 4th of July, Thanksgiving, and Easter and rolled it all up together in one huge celebration because it was a celebration of patriotism. It was a celebration of forgiveness. It was a celebration of God's goodness and God's deliverance. And so it was the greatest festival. It was a party. And isn't that kind of a tragic irony that it tells us that it was this party atmosphere and at the very same time, the religious leaders, the captains of the temple are in the middle of planning and plotting the murder of God's own son, the Savior of the world. And right in the middle of that mix is Judas one of the twelve one of those that was closest to Jesus but you need to understand Jesus is not unaware he's not surprised he knows what's going on in fact look at the next verse verse 7 says this now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. When the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Let me tell you, that verse isn't talking about all the lambs that all the families were bringing to the temple to be sacrificed, to be a part of that meal. That word, the lamb was to be sacrificed, it is talking about the reality that Jesus is the lamb of God and that he is about to be sacrificed. Listen, you don't catch God by surprise. Jesus Jesus has not been caught unaware. It's not like Jesus one time slaps his head and says, well, I didn't see that coming. He is fully aware. And even while he is fully aware, he prepares for the night of the party and the celebration. And he even tells the disciples that he is excited, that he is eager for this night of celebration. Look down at verses 14 and 15. It says, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table, and Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Listen, that's what I want you to see here. I want you to wrap your hands around this. Jesus has chosen to celebrate even in the midst of a night that is going to be full of pain and loss. And that's the first lesson we get about right thinking out of this question. The first thought is this. Number one, the worst need not rule you. The worst that life can throw at you need not rule you. Jesus chooses celebration on the toughest night of his life. And he wasn't bluffing about it when he told them, I'm eager 
to spend this meal with you. He wanted to be at the table with the disciples. And even Judas was at the table and it did not kill the party spirit. Look at how he reveals the duplicity to the disciples. In verse 21, it says this, but here at this table, sitting among us as a friend is the man who would betray me. I would encourage you in your Bibles to circle that phrase, as a friend. As a friend? Really? As a friend? I don't know about you, but if this had been me, I, 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 and I knew what Judas was about to do, I think Judas would not have gotten an invitation to my table. I, I think I would have lost it. I would have overlooked it. But, but, you know, I would not have invited him to the table. But Jesus not only makes room for him at the table, he even calls him a friend to the very end. And he shows him honor. In fact, John in his gospel, when he writes about this event over in John chapter 13, listen to how he describes all of this going down. John chapter 13, beginning with verse 21, says this, Now Jesus was deeply troubled. And he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. And the disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. And Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who is he talking about? And so the disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? And Jesus replied, It is the one to whom I give the bread that I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas. He dipped it and he gave it to Judas. And what you need to understand is this was an expression of intimacy and affection. In fact, many have called this love's last appeal. It's as if Jesus was somehow inviting Judas back in. It's like Jesus was saying, listen, it's not too late for you. It's never too late for you. I know what you've been up to. I know where you are, but it's not too late to come back to the family. I want you to feel what is happening here. It had to be the darkest night of the soul in the middle of tremendous loss, facing the greatest agony that you or I could imagine, and knowing that a kiss of betrayal was on the horizon. And the amazing thing about this story is that Jesus chooses love. Jesus chooses celebration. He refused to let the worst in life rule his life. What about you? What about where you are right now? Let me tell you, we need this thinking shift in our life because so many times when things begin to come apart and chaos reigns, 
it begins to rule our life. I mean, just look at the world and what's going on in the world right now. We still have that long, ongoing war in the Ukraine, and, and we wonder how long before other nations are going to be drawn into that, and, and how's that going to spin out? And, and now you have the conflict in the Middle East, and Hamas, and, and Israel, and the threats going back and forth, and, and innocent lives being lost. And then you read in the news about another mass shooting in, in the state of Maine this time. And then you look to the government thinking maybe, maybe they've got some answers. And all we see in the government is this polarization and hostility and lack of cooperation. It just seems like it's worse than ever. It's so easy for us to be absolutely overwhelmed. But listen, that's not the worst part. Let's just strip all that stuff that's going on in the world away and say, you know what, we're just going to have to trust God to handle that. The worst stuff are the things that are more personal. Like sitting in the hospital with a friend and wondering how that friend's going to turn a corner. Or sitting with a loved one after their latest chemotherapy treatment and you're, you're wondering and you're, you're worried about, is it making a difference? Or you get the sudden news that, that somebody ha has passed. Our world has plenty of chaos, but, but then when you add to that personal loss and illness and struggle and so many people walking through a long shadow of a long grief, man, it could just be overwhelming. It could feel like it's the worst. But let me tell you, even the worst does not get to rule you and me. But we have to change our thinking. In Romans chapter 12, the Bible says this, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So how is it that God needs to change our thinking when the worst situations come into our life? Well, let me tell you who is an expert about that, a guy by the name of Paul. And I want you to look and listen to and learn what he talked about changing your thinking in the middle of the worst. In 2 Corinthians 4, beginning with verse 8 and 9, he says this, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. And then listen to what he says. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small, and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that, cannot, that we cannot see that will last forever. I tell you, that's exactly what Jesus did in this dark, terrible night. He was focused beyond the worst that was raging around him. What about you? What about you? 
Can you shift your thinking? You see, Jesus wanted Judas to actually wake up to the reality that it wasn't Jesus who was being played in that moment. It wasn't Jesus who was being played. It was Judas who was about to step into a trap. Because you see, there was another player at the table. And he's at work in that moment, and he longs to be at work in your life as well. Luke told us that early on when he said simply, Satan entered into Judas. And that brings us to the second thing that we need to learn to shift in our thinking. Number two is this, the adversary need not defeat you. The adversary need not defeat you. It's kind of like that song we sometimes sing around here. Not today, Satan. Not today. That needed to be the refrain in Judas's life, but he was oblivious to the truth that he was being played. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And step by step by step, it's as if Satan was nudging Judas down a path until he could move into his heart. Judas is scary. Do you ever think about this guy? I spent a lot of time thinking about how did this happen? What, what was the flaw? What was the motivation? Judas Iscariot. There's a lot of obscurity around him. In fact, even that word Iscariot, we, we don't really know what it means with certainty. Iscariot. The, the first part, the first synonym of, or, or syllable of that word is, um, in the Hebrew, that means man, man. And so it probably means man of something. Uh, many suspect that it means man of Kirioth, uh, Iscariot. It sounds that way. If that's the case, it, it means that Judas was the only apostle that was not from Galilee. And that, that's, that's very possible. Others find the name more likely to mean man of Sicari. Judas Iscariot, man of Sicari. The Sicari were a group of trained assassins who were operative during the Roman occupation. Uh, Sicari literally means dagger people. They would carry these long daggers hidden in their cloak and they would get into these crowds and they would get up next to like a Roman and they'd just pull that dagger out, stab and hide it and then they'd slip out and not be caught by the crowd. If, if you're a fan of the chosen... Simon the Zealot is portrayed as Sicari in, in, in that, that show. It's possible that Judas could have been this radical revolutionary, could have been an assassin. And it could be that he became so disillusioned with Jesus, he was just casting him aside. This, this guy's not going to bring the overthrow. We need to get him out of the way. Or, or maybe, maybe he's just trying to make Jesus make the move. I'm going to be the spark that, that starts this thing off. Listen, we could debate those details and motivations without end, but what I want you to see is just this. At the end of all of his plotting and planning and collaborating, 
Judas is the one who ends up with surprise and shock. Because before he can even reveal Jesus, Jesus stops him in his tracks with a simple question. Judas, with a kiss? You're betraying me? Can you imagine that moment of shock? He begins thinking, who told? How does he find out? How does he know? But let me tell you, Jesus' words here aren't just to shock him. What I see in his words is an extension of love's last appeal, just like when he dipped and handed. I think this is Jesus saying, Judas, you still don't have to fall into Satan's trap. Because the truth is, Satan was the one that was on the losing team. So let's pick it up there in the garden, beginning with verse 47 in Luke 22. And it says this, But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. <laughs> Two of them, by the way. And one of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priests and the captains of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary, he asked, that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment. The time when the power of darkness reigns. Don't miss that last line. This is your moment. The time when the power of darkness reigns. Who is Jesus talking to? Well, we're told the religious leaders, the authorities that came. Judas was certainly there. But let me tell you, I don't think in that last sentence, Jesus is talking to them he is talking to the adversary. And Jesus is putting Satan on notice. You get this moment. This is your one moment. But it is only one moment. And you have limited time. And you will be defeated. Now, the truth is, this adversary is still at work in this world. We see him wrecking havoc in people's life. We see the evidence of his chaos and destruction. Sometimes even in our own families, right? Sometimes even in our own lives. He's still after us. But do not despair. 
and do not give up and certainly do not give in because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world the adversary need not defeat you listen even this horrible night is soon going to turn into this horrible day of the cross but God is still going to work in and even through the evil work of Satan. God is about to bring both life and goodness and forgiveness and deliverance through a cross. What an amazing story. I mean, think about the cross. Maybe it's the, the worst way that anyone could die. And God takes the cross from the hands of Satan, and now he has turned it into the universal symbol of our greatest hope. I tell you, the adversary need not defeat you and that brings us to the last mindset shift that the question brings and that is simply this the victory need not escape you when jesus said to judas with a kiss you're betraying me the question reveals to us that judas he was really close really close in proximity to jesus but he wasn't all in was he he wasn't all in. Don't miss this, and this is your final thought. Closeness to Jesus does not equal intimacy with Jesus. And let me tell you, you don't just need to get close to him. You need intimacy with Jesus. Jesus. Judas was close, but he was still so far away. Listen, anytime you read these stories in the Bible, in order to get the most out of these stories, you need to put yourself in the story. You need to put yourself at that table when Jesus was hosting this party and celebration and he chose joy and yet he reveals. You, you need to put yourself in the garden when Judas shows up. And you ask yourself the question, what about me? Am I all in? Or am I just sort of close? Listen, it's so easy for us to appear as if we are faithful believers and yet our hearts can be so far from him remember what jesus said long before this night these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me judas missed that he was close but still far away and the victory that could have been his slipped through his fingers. What about you? What about you? Do you praise Jesus with your lips? But is it, is it just lips? Is it just a show? Or are you all in? Listen, there is to be a connection between our heart and our lips. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says this, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. You see, it, it begins the heart. 
it has to make its way to the lips but it can't just be the lips and not the heart judas was close but he was not all in listen there is an adversary who is at work not only in this world but he wants to be at work in your life he wants to bring chaos and destruction but you need to know there is a savior at work in this world and that savior is named jesus and to the bitter end to his dying breath he extends love's last appeal even to judas even to you even to me have you turned to him have you confessed him have you trusted him where would you be without Jesus? Right now, right here. Let me invite you to be all in, to give yourself to Him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed, we just pray that you would move and work in our hearts and lives that you would stir up through your Holy Spirit the needs that we have to close the gap with you. Father, it's easy for us to become those people who only give lip service. But Father, I pray that you would draw us in. Help us to recognize, even in this moment, where we would be without you. And let us run to you. Let us close the gap. Let us cling to you. Let us discover consistency in both our heart and our life, our internal and external, that we are all in for you. Because that's what changes our thinking. Where we realize even the worst doesn't have to rule me. And the adversary, well, he, he can't defeat me, not with you. And the victory, it doesn't have to escape me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite you to stand as we worship together. And let me encourage you to step into faith to pursue Jesus Christ. Amen.